As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. In today's seasonal special, here comes Santo. After Steve Cooper falls in a forest firing, we look at the advent in Nottingham of Nuno Espirito Santo. Elsewhere, Jeddah forced Bush, Man City into the final at the Club World Cup. There's shootouts galore back home in the League Cup quarterfinals, plus a whole weekend of action too. Why coin tosses will be key and some spare punditry in case you need for things that may happen while we're off over Christmas. All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Yeah, listener, it's December the 20th and it's the last Totally Football Show of the year. Don't worry, it's not a busy time for football or anything like that. And we have for you a very special, timeless year-ender of a podcast for you today featuring Tim Spears and his new haircut. Hi, James. Hi, Tim. Also, Duncan Alexander's here with us. Hello. All right, Duncan. And 2003's Mr. Perfect, oh, Tom no. Williams. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Hello, James. My words for those going. of More Magazine. God, how I wish I hadn't shared that story with you. <laughs> but part of you obviously wanted it to be known. No, it was, ju- no, it was it. germane to the, what we were talking about. I don't recall how it was germane to what we were talking about. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about, Tom? You were in a magazine feature. So, you know, we were talking about minor brushes with celebrity when we were at university. Yes. And I thought... On account of the fact that Duncan was at college with the Dust Brothers... Uh, all the Chemical Brothers, mm. nay, the Dust Brothers, mm. yeah. And that you had your first brush with the limelight, James, when you were at university. In university, yeah, on Crime Watch. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be germane to the conversation to mention that I once appeared in a, a, a magazine. Yes. <laughs> in a, fee, in a, in a, a magazine aimed at teenage girls, and it was yeah. all about you write in and, yeah. or you phone in yeah. um, and you can date one of the men profiled in the magazine yeah and i somehow ended up being one of those men and so um, modest yeah and no it was it was i thought it would it would make me look quite cool but photo shoot sitting on another boy's (laughs) knee (laughs) i'm really not sure i'm prepared to go into this level of detail all right there was a photo shoot it was confusing um and then i was given a phone number to call up to listen to all the all, I mean, there weren't that many, but the voicemails right. of the... Uh, like, say, Piz Morgan, but, you know, 
<laughs> but le- but like legitimate. Oh, uh, legitimately yeah. listen to the yeah. voicemails that have been left to request a date with me, and the the date uh, did not materialise, and that was that. All right, but people did. It's not like they didn't leave you messages, Tom. You just went, yeah, it's not such a great idea, and yeah, I salute you for that. Excellent. Yes, yeah, some of them sounded a bit strange. Mm. Tim, so. did you have a collegiate brush with celebrity? No, all oh, right, not. No, there were no celebrities okay. in Nottingham, unfortunately. Okay. All right, I think uh, thank you for that, Tom. Thank you for sharing that. It's nice to get a smile back on our faces after the downer that was this morning's announcement that Nottingham Forest have moved on from the beloved Steve Cooper and chosen Nuno Espirito Santo as his replacement. It's, it isn't exactly a huge surprise. We've had Daniel Story literally every podcast saying they're going to fire Steve Cooper. But still, what a moment for Forest and their fans. Uh, Nick Miller writing a lovely piece on The Athletic, uh, calling Cooper for a second most important manager in their history. The man who took Forrest from pity to joy. Why? What's so special? Oh, look, Nick Miller joins us now. Hello, Nick. Oh, hello, James. Hello. Handy that you're here. Go on, then. For anyone outside the Forest fam, what is it that makes this not just another managerial firing? Oh, God. Um, Well, I mean, getting Forest promoted for the first time in 23 years, that was... um, They were in last place when he took took over? They were in last place. They'd won one game in the first eight or nine of the season when he arrived. Um, It looked... Pretty bleak at that point. And then with kind of more or less the same set of players, only just missed out on automatic promotion, then went up in the playoffs. So, yeah, winning a lot of games certainly helps. Mm. But he scored pretty high on the kind of he get, he just gets it scale. And he was just a good... What did he get? Well, he knew he, he knew, always knew the right things to say to get uh, fans on side. Um, and he was just a, just a good guy. There was all, all, all loads of stories about him... You know, just taking time to talk to supporters. If you ever got, you ever seen games at the city ground, you'll have seen the big kind of banners and tifos or whatever that are in the Trent and the group that that do those. They spend a lot of time at the stadium. They they'll be there kind of long into the night, and they would very often find as they were trudging out into the car park at the end of the the evening, setting up these things, Steve Cooper to just kind of thank them and shake their hand and take a picture and you know he didn't it's just kind of the kind of thing that you don't need to do if you're a Premier League manager and you've got lots else on um, but he did and he you know beloved in the city it, Nick you're one of a, a gaggle or perhaps a spinny of Forest fans <laughs> uh, a spinny the, yeah perhaps what, what's, what's or some kind of arboreal conglomerate it's one right? one up yeah. from a copse yeah. okay. is it though you'd have more trees in a spinny would you than a mm. copse yeah Okay. I haven't ever heard that word, but how do you spell spinny? A spinny, S-P-I-N-N-E-Y. Yeah. I'm going it goes a spinny. cop, spinny, a field, wood, spinny. forest. And if wood is of a field, smaller than a forest. A group of trees mm. I guess that figures. Oh yeah, wood is definitely He's just one centre forward there. I didn't know there was anything between <laughs> cops and wood. Oh, a copse is a small cluster of trees, mm. generally in the middle of a field, I think, with a lot of uh, expanse around it. You but often anyway, find often hanged people in copses. Did um, they in medieval times? Yeah, if you if you see a copse outside a village, it's usually where people are hanged. Damn, this is taking a turn, isn't it? Jesus. Yeah. Okay, but anyway, another forest fan is Matt Davis Adams, mm. who responded to the club's statement. To wit, we thank Steve for his dedication and commitment. He'll always remain a friend of the club and will forever be welcome at the city ground. We wish him well in his future endeavours. 
Matt says, let's see how welcome he is in March when his Palace team sends us down and Nuno's replacement gets future endeavoured as a consequence. And Matt's had a bit of form with predictions. So what do you make of that? Has it, uh, right, Matt, is, is Matt just kind of milking this Bournemouth prediction? It was a great years prediction. Ago. It was great. It was a phenomenal prediction. What do you make prediction. of this one, Nick? Steve Cooper at Crystal Palace could very easily happen. We'll have to go pretty disastrously wrong for Nuno's replacement to be in place by then. Although, as you mentioned, the dismissal of Steve Cooper just before the year end means that... Can you quote the stat at me? Because I clearly can't remember it exactly. Yeah, 2022 was the only year since 2010, the only calendar year in which Forrest haven't sacked the manager, or at least changed the manager. So 2010... 2010, uh, Billy Davis was in charge, and he, he got the whole year. Oh, wow. 2011, they fired a manager. Yeah. 2012, <laughs> they fired a manager. Let's see where we're going with this. Yeah. <laughs> then um, The incident with the pigeon. Who was the pigeon? I guess sort of Dougie Friedman was probably the pigeon. Possibly so. I'm sorry to be laughing. It's <laughs> okay, James. <laughs> people, are, people are generally been treating me like there's been a death in the family this morning. So you compared this actually to when Bielsa left Leeds or you know was ousted at Leeds and the fact that there were Leeds fans who would rather have gone down with him than survive without as it turned they you know as it turned out they got neither eventually but yeah um what is that your feeling with Forrest and do you see that maybe the club after one win in 13 would feel that a change was necessary oh I mean like logically there are loads of arguments to say that you know even if you even if you sort of discount the 5-0 defeat to Fulham a couple of weeks ago that loads of arguments to say yeah probably it's probably time you know both in terms of results and his relationship with the owner, lots of logical arguments to say, yeah, it's probably a, it's not an unreasonable decision. And he was there for two years, which by the scale of things is, is a pretty decent run for a Premier League manager these days. Yeah. Um, is, is there a simple explanation as to what went wrong for a manager who had performed such miracles in the championship? Um, I think probably he could have made a few mistakes. He's fallen out with a couple of players, which is, a sign that uh, he maybe lost a, a little bit of the grip um, on things because that's n one of his strengths was his relationship with the players. Right. It kind of because Forrest didn't quite sign twenty nine players mm. in the summer. They still signed thirteen. It's still basically a new team, two goalkeepers who haven't turned out to be very good, and various other players. So s signing forty odd players in two years, you, you can figure that out once, but figuring it out twice. Mm. Might be a bit of an issue, and yeah, it's not. It's it's not all that. The Cooper's made some mistakes as well, but okay. But yeah, it, in answer to the kind of original thing, I think there were there are an element. There is an element of the support that would have just kept him for as long as he wanted to be there. But logically, there was, though, as I said, there were plenty of reasons to make a change. Well, it's one thing to get rid of Steve Cooper. It's perhaps quite another to appoint Nuno Espirito Santo. In his place, Nuno, who was out of work after being dismissed by Saudi Arabian club Al Ittihad early in November, rumours he'd fallen out there with Karim Benzema, but had previously won the title. Before that, he had that brief but so special 17-game spell at Spurs. And before that, he did amazing things himself at Wolves, leading them up. And keeping them there for three seasons, you've got an FA Cup semi-final, consecutive seven-place finishes, place finishes rather. I'm looking at you, Tim, because you're the Wolves fan here. So people have a, a view on Nuno Espirito Santo. What's your take from a Wolves perspective? Yeah, I think a lot of people's views come from that 17-game spell at Spurs. And yeah, it was bad, but it wasn't a disaster. I mean, they were like seventh place when he got sacked. 
And there were huge sort of mitigating circumstances in why that was never going to work. He was like 20th choice, if people remember, for the job. And they had Harry Kane wanting to leave that summer and all sorts of difficulties. But if you look at every other club he's been at, he's had success at the majority of them. You know, you talk about uh, comparisons with Bielsa leaving Leeds. I mean, when Nuno left Wolves, it was like very similar. He was adored across the whole city. The people were in tears for his last game because it was announced before his last game that he was leaving. He was in tears, the players were in tears. You know, he, the impact he had, you, know, you talk about Cooper taking Forrest to heights they haven't seen in decades. Well, he did that at Wolves for sure. Um, he also did it at Rio Ave right at the start of his career. He took them into Europe for the first time in their history. So I think the Spurs job was too big for him for a number of reasons, but Forrest is a better sized club for him, but it's not a better sized squad. He does like a small squad and he doesn't like to be challenged, I would say. You mentioned Benzema. There were issues at Wolves if if there were sort of egos or players causing a bit of trouble, they would just be out the door and he'd keep a very tight group of players together. And of course, the other difference at Wolves was he sort of started from scratch in the championship and built a team of Mendes signings from scratch. That's uh, not going to happen here. It's going to have a huge squad. And obviously, the fans are going to have very little patience for him, I would, I would guess, coming off the back of Cooper but it's the players who can't really if that, that's an interesting one to me do, do the players feel the same as the fans do they adore Cooper as much or are they some of them yeah um, in terms of the players the interesting one's going to be Morgan Gibbs-White who was for us most important player last season has been not good this season but you know, not many of the players have been good this season but um, I believe had a, a bit of falling out with uh, Nuno at Wolves so um, you know it, it, I, I imagine that well, hopefully both sides are sort of pragmatic enough to kind of try and figure that out. But it's going to be really interesting to see what actually happens there. Mm-hmm. He's been uh, manager of the month in Premier League as many times as Jose Mourinho. So Which is not very many. Because well, four famously. times. Only 15 managers more ever. Okay. Because so Chiz is always... going to be fine. <laughs> Chiz- Thanks, Duncan. <laughs> it's, it is reassuring. I sent... Tim, a, a, a series of slightly more intense than I intended messages yesterday. <laughs> yeah, did we did get quite intense today? Um, asking for reassurance that everything was going to be okay. <laughs> did you receive that? I did. Yeah, it was re- very reassuring. I'm going to uh, next time I have any kind of personal crises, I'm going to get in touch with Tim just to sort of, <laughs> just to calm me down and make tell me stroke my hair and tell me everything's going to be fine. Did he use any re- reassuring emojis? Uh, no emojis. No, no, just he's the real Mister Perfect. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Magneto, all right, well, best of luck. Do read Nick's piece if you've got a strong constitution because it'll, it'll reduce you to a blubbering wreck. And, uh, like all the best Christmas content. It tugs at the heartstrings. Exactly. It reminds yeah. you of the important things. And, you know, sometimes if you've got a difficult family member, you just need to kick them out of the house. It's the, kind of, it's the, the sports writing equivalent of It's a Wonderful Life. Isn't exactly. It? Yeah. yeah. And it's got Lower Taylor in it. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Nick, Merry Christmas to you. Happy Christmas, everyone. Lovely. God bless us. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Nick Miller there, chatting about the New Look Forest. Saturday, 3 o'clock, their game with Bournemouth. What else is happening this weekend in the Premier League? Well, there are only nine fixtures because Man City's game with Brentford is postponed because City are currently on the other side of the world preparing for their world, their Club World Cup final against Fluminense. Uh, the rest of the Premier League will be doing thusly. Uh, Thursday night, the round begins with Crystal Palace against Brighton. Friday sees Villa against Sheffield United. 
Saturday, the 23rd of December, West Ham take on Man United. That's the early game. Then at 3 o'clock, you've got Spurs-Everton, the aforementioned Forest-Bournemouth, Fulham against Burnley and Luton-Newcastle. And then at 5.30, Liverpool-Arsenal. Before, on Sunday, a very special Christmas Eve fixture. Wolves-Chelsea. Wolves-Chelsea, Tim. Tim's shaking his head. Then from Boxing Day, you've got another full round. Games on the 26th, 27th, 28th. Huh. Wow, what's going to happen over this Christmas? Will City get left behind while they're off in Saudi? Uh, Liverpool-Arsenal is the, the kind of key game from this cluster of of matches and it's Saturday 5.30 and it's second against first have the Gunners won at Anfield in the last 11 years no will they this time maybe alright then <laughs> uh, statistically this is one of the goaliest fixtures out there isn't that right yeah, I mean, I think last weekend people got a bit excited about Liverpool Man United because of last season being 7-0 and mm. thought, hey, we're in a, it. But historically, Liverpool United games have been... Duds. You know, duds. Always duds. Yeah, right. and, we, and it was kind of reassuring to sit go back to that. It was heritage. But Liverpool-Arsenal, particularly Anfield, is, yeah, goal central. I mean, you know, they're the two teams with the most 90th-minute winners in Premier League history. Um, on numerous occasions, Liverpool have scored, like, three or four goals before half-time in this fixture. It's um, It always tends to be this time of year, another completely random decision from the fixture computer, our friend there. Um, so I once had to miss the second half of a really good version because I was seeing some Christmas lights, which was very disappointing. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's a key game because... You would think if Arsenal can win this, mm. A, it's a statement, TM, but it's also with City not playing as well and stretching the gap even more. And I know that obviously Arsenal were top last season at Christmas mm. and didn't quite make it, but it feels like this is a much more streetwise Arsenal who almost, they control games, they're not that exciting sometimes because they just, they want that prize, they know it's there. And it does feel like this is the season where it is there for someone. And it does feel a little bit, what's the time, Mr. Wolf, in the sense that City are away, mm. backs are turned mm. at the Club World Cup. They're already five points off the pace. They've not been playing very well, various injury issues. And there's an opportunity for Arsenal and Liverpool and Villa to eke out a bit of a lead before City return. And I think we all expect that at some point Guardiola's going to figure things out and City will go on one of those barnstorming runs of form. I mean, it's not a given, it's mm. not a guaranteed, mm. but uh, you know we've seen them do it so many times. Uh, and the fact we've got three teams up there who are all sort of at different stages of their evolution and all you know playing different kinds of football is, is really exciting. OK, because it could be Arsenal top at Christmas, it could be Liverpool, it could even be... Aston Villa will be facing Sheffield United Friday evening, prior, of course, to that game at Anfield. What do you think, Tim? How important is it to be top at Christmas? Uh, statistically, fairly, but not definitively. Um, yeah, there's a weird thing where the last six times that a team's been top at Christmas and not won the title, three of them have been Liverpool and three have been Arsenal. So okay. we are, we're right. in familiar surroundings and Villa, in fact, the last time they were top of Christmas under John Gregory, John Gregory of course. The, they had the biggest ever falling away. They came sixth that season. Good Lord. Um, so all three teams that could be top this Christmas have checkered histories with being top of Christmas. But each season is its own delight. It's a weird time for a, like a top two clash, though, Liverpool-Arsenal. You know, two days before 
Christmas. It, mm. feels, it feels like a mid-March, well, mid-April sort of encounter. Not. I said a minute ago about the fixer computer. This is the seventh time that Arsenal and Liverpool have met in their final Premier League game before Christmas. So. What are the odds? Yeah. Seventh time in, in, in ever? Or ever in, in, the, Premier in Premier League history. Oh, okay. No, yeah. in, no, in Premier League history. Right. So, and I guess that speaks more to the fact that we've rarely had a Liverpool and Arsenal in the title race scenario. But it is a, it is a good pre-Christmas treat normally and I'm expecting similar. Okay. Miss, missing a couple of key figures from, was it last season's Clash? Andy Robertson and Constantine Hatsakis. Yes, the hench linesman. Yeah, I mean he, he, I mean, he might be involved but you don't hear from him much these days. Oh good lord, was that already a year ago? That was, that was last season wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was, yeah. yeah. That's the thing, you have a sort of like historically hench linesman who gets involved in argy-bargy with mm. uh, a reasonably high profile Premier League player but because there's so much stuff happening in the Premier League that kind of yeah. thing just, you forget about it. Madness. Madness. Uh, who's got Arsenal for this? Well, Liverpool have got this weird thing about other people not scoring goals. James Pearce highlighted it in the Athletic this week that um, Darwin Nunes hasn't scored in 10, Luis Diaz 1 in 8, Cody Gakpo 2 in 10, and Jota's injured. So it's, and obviously last week highlighted with some crazy stats from that game 34 shots. 34, yeah. I think only four or five games in Premier League history have had more shots they had than that goal. 15 from outside the box, which is a lot. And it kind of spoke to that. I mean, it's a bit like the, the Chelsea slip game where Gerard had, I think, eight shots from outside the box after making the mistake, almost as if he was desperately trying to rectify <laughs> The Gerard Messiah game. Yeah. So what do you take from that, Tim? Uh, I take that um, Arsenal are in a good good spot for this. I quite fancy them for an away win. But it does it does feel quite goalie. I know it's a bit of an easy prediction to make, but I do feel like if Arsenal score first, it could be a bit of a humdinger. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the two the two games Arsenal have lost this season are away to Newcastle, which had some controversy, away to Villa, which also had a bit of controversy. But both of those games, they could have won. They played quite well. I don't. They haven't really been outplayed at all this season. I think they're probably the only team in the Premier League that you can say that about. So, I mean, this is a massive test because historically they are pretty bad at Anfield. But you know, when Arsenal have won the league. 1989, for instance, Anfield has, has loomed quite in an important fashion, so it could be the same. And I think Arsenal are playing better football than Liverpool at the moment. I think a feature of Liverpool's season has been sort of grinding out wins when they've not played particularly well. Obviously, didn't get the win against United despite you know dominating, but prior to that, scratchy late win away at Crystal Palace. You know, there are echoes of more successful seasons under Klopp when that's what they did, just managed to find a way in each of their games. Whereas I think with Arsenal, um, although they've had, you know, a few scratchy wins themselves, I think there's a feeling that things are slightly more cohesive in terms of the football. You know, very decent win against um, against Brighton last weekend and preventing Brighton scoring, which very few teams uh, succeed in doing. So, yeah, finally poised. OK. Uh, Liverpool will be in action Wednesday night in the League Cup quarterfinal against West Ham. So there's that. Aston Villa, their match against Sheffield United, you may recall, as being the fixture in which goal line technology stopped working in 2020. Just a sweep on, on top of the goalkeeper here, and he holds on. There was pressure put on him there by John Egan. Well, John Egan was asking the question, but Michael Oliver said no. And clearly, with the goal line technology, the watch would have vibrated and didn't. It did look like he'd taken it over the line. As Sheffield United scoring a goal, which wasn't validated, Villa thus getting mm. a point for a nil-nil draw and staying up at the end of the season by a point, 
much the anger of Bournemouth, who went down instead. Well, it was the first game back after in Project Restart after the, the COVID pause. So I think more more people were watching Villa Sheffield United than might normally have been doing so because right. we'd all we'd all watched our requisite number of Bundesliga games and we're like, no, we need we need the Prem. Um, yeah, and it was obviously quite a. I think it's the only time that Hawkeye's not worked. It, I don't. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that I can't think of any other examples when it's. It was because um, there was so many bodies. Yeah, in the it was goal a great night. week for the word occlusion. I think. Yes, I recall. There, yeah, were there was a lot of occlusion. Okay, um, but as a way of highlighting the distance that Villa had come now, madness to think of them even being anywhere near a relegation battle. Uh, there they sit, one point, one point, is it or two? Two points off the top. One of the point. Ta- one point off the top of the table. Well, Man City, while all of this is going on, are going to be on Sunday. No, it's Friday. Friday night, they're facing a Fluminense, the Copa Libertadores champions having dispatched the Asian Champions League winners, Urawa Red Diamonds, on Tuesday. Uh, City coming alive after a fairly stilted first half. Did you catch any of this in Jeddah? Yeah, I mean, City playing without Erling Haaland, Mm. um, who's also going to miss the final because of this foot injury uh, that he's carrying. Um, And so lined up with a slightly curious system, no strikers... And to begin with, Bernardo Silva was playing through the middle, but then he ended up out on the right. And it was this sort of rotating carousel of midfielders uh, that included Phil Foden, Matteo Kovacic and Mateus Nunes, who were sort of breaking forward from deep. And it very quickly became an attack-defence exercise. Arawa Reds are sort of camped on the edge of their own box and City are trying to find angles and channels and and look like uh, they weren't going to succeed until uh, first-half stoppage time when Nunez puts in a cross from the right that a defender slides in for an own goal, and then that was it. And then they scored a really nice goal, actually. Matteo Kovacic running through and scoring. Bernardo Silva adds a third. I mean, it wasn't a a tremendous uh, advertisement for this tournament that is about to grow in size in a very big way Mm. in 2025, in that it was a huge mismatch in a half-empty stadium with no atmosphere on well, you a say pretty no atmosphere. patchy pitch. You say no atmosphere, but when they showed Haaland on the big screen, the crowd mm. got excited. And then they showed Kevin De Bruyne, who... He's got a, a new Jack Grealish haircut. Yeah, had a kind of... Quite, yeah, it was quite It Grealish. does suit him. It does Did suit him, with it? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But a bit of a it sort of... A little bit bushy. A little bit of Sergio Giorgini. In, yeah. In Tim's just Googling of, it at the moment. Let's get Tim's reaction live to... The, Kevin De Bruyne. But yeah, unable to feature in this game or consequentially the final because you can't play in the final if you didn't feature in the semi-final. Those are the rules. But now very much back and ready to go when City return to the Premier Which is a a boost. You feel that's positive news. Yeah. Yeah. Tim? Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Check it out. And he looks more German now all of a sudden. I don't know. Do you think? Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Very good. Well, that's the situation with the top three plus City. Uh, Next up, we'll talk about some more of the action on the way as we head into Christmas.
All right, listeners, Tony Evans here, host of Walk On, your dedicated Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Myself, James Pearce and Simon Hughes will be here every week on Wednesday this season as we bring you all the news and views that you could possibly ever want from the club. And James brings you a at-the-match pod after every Premier League game, and it's really good, you know. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Everyone loves an on this day list, so we've got a whole bunch of them now to get you through the festive period. Yeah, come back and check these out on, say, Christmas Day or Boxing Day or Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, for example, on this day in 2006, Les Reed mm. sacked by Charlton. Brutal. Dickensian. In its timing. Well, his Charlton had just lost to Wickham in the quarterfinals of the League Cup. Oh, had they? And had they. I feared for him after that game, given the reaction mm. to, uh, to that defeat. Only six weeks after he took up uh, that position at the Valley, he was replaced by Alan Pardew. Uh, also binned on Christmas Eve, Thomas Tuchel at Paris Saint-Germain. Heartless. Uh, he joined uh, Chelsea barely a month later and led them to the Champions League trophy that very same season. So a happy ending. Like Kevin McAllister didn't get to spend Christmas in Paris. That's so true. What about a Christmas day on this day? Something in 1965, perhaps. That was the last time that there was a Football League match played on December the 25th. Uh, do you recall the fixture? Uh, Blackpool-Blackburn. Blackpool-Blackburn it was. The score was 4-2 to Blackpool. Watched by 20,851. Decent. It's not bad, is it? Does that mean that no no manager's been sacked on Christmas Day? We've got, we've, there's no... There's no, no I don't think so. That. I mean, I mean be, Yeah. The Premier League always needs new twists. What would so. be worse, though, Christmas Day or your birthday, like Trevor Francis? Yeah. But, but it's, it's, but it's Christmas Day. Well, if you... Uh, yeah. 
By the way, also on Christmas Day, this one in 1957, a 17-year-old Jimmy Greaves scored four goals for Chelsea as they beat Portsmouth 7-4. Wow. Because they used to pair... Gave the, them a stuffing. They you know. did indeed. Yeah. Well, they used to pair the fixtures, didn't they? So you'd, mm. the same teams would play Christmas Day and then Boxing Day. Boxing Day. Just to avoid too much travel. And sometimes you'd get like completely flipped score lines. The team mm. would get an absolute pasting on Christmas Day mm. and then get pasted in turn giving and receiving very much the message right, of Christmas. Nice. It's been a very tricky festive period, though. Boxing Day returns. This mm. year, because the same people who would eulogise about those days, because football was better, obviously, right. but also have to find the strength to complain about a Christmas Eve game this year in the Premier League, because the game was gone. So it's quite a difficult balancing act for these well, people. come on to that Christmas Eve fixture mm. and the problems therein uh, very shortly. But I, we can't mention Boxing Day, Duncan, without yeah, talking uh, about... Come on, then. Uh, you love this. I don't love it. 1963. Yeah, it's a complete outlier. Okay. Again, in the kind of nostalgia fest that... What happened in 1963? Well, there were loads what of girls. 66 girls, was 10 matches. Yeah, we've all seen the, the, the quite, now quite dated Sky screenshot that they right. made up the scores. Um, but it's a complete outlier. People kind of use it wrongly. They kind of go, well, this is just what Christmas football was like. Back do then. they, though? Yeah, they do. Do they? I feel like they're just like, oh, there were loads of goals they don't on Boxing mention, Day in 63. They don't mention that Boxing Day 1919, the first round of the then? First World War, one of the lowest, at like 1.2 goals per game. People don't go, oh, well, that just shows old football was rubbish. They only, they only did it all the way around. So I think it needs to be, we need someone to score 10 goals mm. in a game this Christmas. Who's your money on? Uh, not in the forest under Nuno. I think it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna hit the ground running. But because obviously that Fulham scored ten, on yeah. Boxing, and that was the last time a top flight team has scored ten. Obviously we've come close recently. That was the last time that Boxing Day, mm. nineteen sixty three. Ipswich the victims. They got a consolation, scamp consolation, I would suggest. But ten one, it finished. Yeah, dangerous scoreline. Fulham have scored, I think, five goals in each of their last yeah, exactly. league fixtures. Yeah. So they're warming up nicely. Who are Fulham playing this weekend? Burnley at home. Burnley yes. at home. Yeah, there you go. It all adds up. I've never seen you so sort of weary over a, over a number or day. Mm. Exactly. I think just it's too just, overused. It's been yeah. too overused. Yeah, yeah. When, like all of us, when it first came out, I was like, wow, this is... <laughs> but then every year, yeah. come on. What about that Christmas Eve fixture this year, Tim? Wolves at home to Chelsea, Sunday at one o'clock, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. And it's Sky Sports. Super Sunday. To blame, they've moved this to Sunday so they can hang a thing on it. Yeah, uh, I mean, rightly, fans were annoyed because I guess you just don't. But what's the difference? You just don't expect it because Why it's, not? it's been well, 1995 was the last one. So I guess I mean they announced it two months ago, which does give people time. But obviously, people make plans for Christmas Eve, don't they? Do they? And festive yeah. travel is awkward. Festive well, travel, well, 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 right? No, so this, so people love Boxing Day where there's no trains. Yeah, yeah uh, Christmas Eve when there are trains. Yeah, that's bad. Doesn't add up. Doesn't add up. Just do your shopping. But what plans are you making on Christmas Eve? Midnight mass, perhaps. But I feel the game should be over by then. Yeah, probably. Hmm. Although not with they are these yeah, days. Stop his time these days. We laugh, but you know. Well. Both supporters trust have come out and condemned the scheduling of this fixture. As you say, it was done back in October. Uh, what about the game, though? What do you think? Wolves Chelsea? Uh, no, not particularly. Oh. They're pretty. They're normally quite low-scoring dual affairs against uh, Chelsea at home. So, although Chelsea, who were in action midweek, of course, in that shootout win over Newcastle in the League Cup quarterfinals, did have uh, twenty minutes or so from a certain Christopher Nkunku which could 
could see them uh, solve one of their perennial issues, which is uh, scoring. Yeah, absolutely. Chances. And yeah, Wolves are in a bad run of form. Mm. Uh, Gary O'Neill could do with going on Monday Night Football again because uh, he's uh, the tide is starting to turn again. So that's what he did last time. was very successful. Got him a couple of months in the bag. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Wolves are in a bit of a poor in a form, so you'd fancy Chelsea for this one, I think. OK, will you be going along, Tim? No, I won't. I am at Spurs, Everton, working on the 23rd. OK. And then, yeah, won't have time to get back in time. Won't have time. But it's on telly, which is great. Yeah. So thanks, Sky. <laughs> <laughs> Magnificent. All right, that was just one of the midweek League Cup quarterfinals. It was Tuesday evening at Stamford Bridge. Newcastle taking the lead early, Tom, through a bit of a defensive, uh, well, I mean, I don't want to say howler, but it was a very unfortunate bit of play from, uh, do pronounce his name for me. Benoit Bariachil. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, a very curious game in that Chelsea dominated it pretty much from start to finish without really creating any chances. And Newcastle scored from their first foray into the Chelsea half when Callum Wilson picked up a loose pass from uh, Levi Colwell, ran at Thiago Silva and Badia Shields, kind of bundled his way through. And Badia Shield got back in, in position really mm. well and tried to sweep the ball away and out of danger uh, and run it up the pitch and accidentally swept it against his own knee. And Callum Wilson ran in and expertly steered it home with the outside of his right foot. And then it became quite a remarkable spectacle because Newcastle just kind of almost gave up the ghost. They are running on fumes completely mm. and got so many injuries. Anthony Gordon limped off as well last night. They got players coming back and they got other players, you know, picking up knocks and they didn't really offer anything at all as an attacking force. And so Chelsea completely dominated possession, got the ball in loads of really good areas and created almost nothing. Conor Gallagher had a shot against the bar early mm. on. Sterling had a shot saved by Dubravka towards the end and Kunku came on for his Chelsea debut, back from his knee injury, uh, and, and looked quite lively. Uh, Mudrick came on, uh, bust around quite ineffectively, as he often does. And it looked like they weren't going to get there. And then Malu Gusto puts in a cross. And poor old Kieran Trippier. Poor old Kieran Come Trippier. on at half-time. Difficult cross to defend in that it bounces just in front of him, zips off the turf, and he seems to be caught in two minds. It looks like he's trying to head it back to Dubravka, yeah, but, but ends up just sort of... Like cushioning. cushioning the ball straight into Mudrick's path. The box is full of attacking players. Why would you Why would you head it back towards yeah. goal? I mean, there was you could see what he was trying to do, hmm. but and you know, Mudrick isn't. Mudrick didn't attack the ball. Mudrick was just kind of like idling on the edge of the penalty area, looking a bit dazed. Um, and, and and Trippier sort of messes up. And having also been at fault for the two goals that condemned Newcastle to defeat at, at Everton recently. Hmm. Um, and. I, I, I mean, he's yeah. having a worse December than Ipswich in 1963. He is, he is, and I wonder whether it's sort of I don't know whether it's kind of mental fatigue or something because mm. Newcastle have been down to the bare bones for a while now. They've had the Champions League to contend with, obviously midweek League Cup fixture, so many injuries. They they do just look like they could do with a bit of a rest. Um, and yeah, it goes to penalties. Chelsea take four exceptional penalties. Trippier misses his. Mm. And then Matt Ritchie's penalty is saved and Chelsea go through. And it, it felt like it felt like quite a big result for Chelsea in that they were on the cusp of, of, of going out, hadn't really created anything, you know, managed to, to, to find a way to go through. And the stadium is absolutely bouncing mm. at the end. And, and you look at them all celebrating and you realise what a young group this, this Chelsea mm. team is. 
and how important you know results like that. Um, you know, I mean, it was fairly. To be. It was fairly sterile from Chelsea. I mean, they had 861 passes for for four shots on target, which is not the golden ratio. But like you say, it it could be a turning point. It was there were scenes, but they still look a you know a massive work in progress. But you can always tell how important the victory is by how they celebrate a penalty shootout, because if it's the full sprint and pylon for like a cup final. Or if it's like a pre-season tournament or something, it's just high fives and they sort of, shall we celebrate or not? This was somewhere in the middle, but it was quite, it was quite joyous. Also, the fan bursting onto the field after mm. the, the equaliser to bounce off Dubravka in uh, scenes that are even now being reviewed by the Metropolitan Police. But yes, yeah, spoke of the raw enthusiasm and passion. And it was quite a bad-tempered game yeah. and there was no VAR. Which yeah. you know we're not really. Used well, you to. said that um, Anthony Gordon limped off. He limped off after a pretty horrendous t- uh, yeah. tackle. A good from old fashioned Achilles tendon gouging by Casado within like the third minute, and Levi Col- uh, Levi Colwell got away with one on Emil Kraft as well. So there was a bit of bit of a bit of Christmas needle. I see. Uh, Newcastle this weekend will be away at Luton. Luton, whose week has been very much focused on how their skipper Tom Lockyer is getting on after last week's events. Uh, Other games going to penalties midweek. Well, there was Everton-Fulham. Fulham Fulham winning that one 7-6 on penalties. The goals, uh, 1-1 it had finished at the end of the 90. Keane with the own goal early on. And then Better, who came on, took it to penalties. And there was the moment when Everton could have sealed it quite early on in the shootout. Amadou Inanna, the jauntiest approach ever to a potentially game-winning spot kick, I would suggest. Inanna steps up. Oh, lovely save. It was weak. It was really weak from Inanna. And Bern Leno went down and made the save. Comfortable save because he really didn't get hold of that at all. That's poor kind of looked like he wanted to do one of those penalties where you wait for the keeper to move mm. and then put it the other way, but just... Yeah, just just got it got it very badly wrong. I mean, and it's kind of the new. It's almost like like the Penenka. Mm. That's like proper football people didn't like players missing Penenkas because it's unnecessarily fancy. Just bloody put your laces through it, you idiot! And the kind of the the jaunty sort of stop start tiptoe penalty run up. But he kind of he skips kind of with the, his hands the in the cousin. air as though he's exited a chorus line only moments before. It's a curious, yeah, very two Ronnie's Christmas special, isn't it? Very or possibly even Morecambe and Wise closing. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Credits. I mean, it was, you can't say run up because it, it, it was a step and a skip, really. I mean, I think Jorginho um, said that if you do do the skip, you have to put it in the corner. Yeah, and it's, it's almost Why down the middle, you know. Well, because you, you need to score the penalty. But no, yeah, but I mean, why the corner? If, well, because if you do the skip, it tends to be quite a low speed penalty. And if you put uh, that in the middle, you know, the keeper can even recover. I mean, it was. And for a club like Everton, who haven't won a trophy since Sean Dyche was 23, this was a real chance to at least get to a, a semi, and it's gone. It's the clubs who won it the most, Everton and Newcastle, just never quite get there. And Newcastle's trophy drought is, what, more than half a century now? Yeah, fair, uh, well, the unless fair you count, cup. Unless you count the first 95? The domestic oh, trophy so was... Oh, did you say Newcastle? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in domestic trophy was the 50s, didn't they? They won, like... Yeah, well, they, what was it, the Inter-City... Inter Fairs Cup. Fairs Cup. Yeah. Which is they, just they like... They joined when the Inter-Toto... How old was Sean Dyche when that That's the question. inter does not count, Tom. It might do in France, but not... No, I'm not saying it does. I'm just saying it is a trophy. Of course, in France, you don't even have a League Cup, do you? Coupe de la Ligue. No, it's gone. As they say. 
Um, but we should say congrats to Fulham. That's the first time they've ever reached the, the League Cup Yeah, they, celebrations from the Cottages, wow. Mm. Not the first Newcastle time won the... Piling, no, <laughs> sorry, Newcastle won the Interdota Cup in uh, 2006. And whereas in previous years, uh, they'd always been uh, combined winners in 2006, Newcastle were outright winners. Right. So, well, okay. That, Fulham through to their first winners. ever League Cup semi, and this done without... Raul Jimenez as well. Yeah, they're having a good. They're sort of reverting to last season's mean, really. Mm. Um, Silver's doing a good job, but you know, he, him, Mitrovic and Palhinha are probably the three key players to last season. Um, Mitrovic left. Silver came very close to leaving, and Palhinha basically left. Went to Ten minutes from leaving. <laughs> yeah, and then they had some injuries as well. So I feel like you know they've got over that now, and they're sort of reverting back to last season. I mean, they had a, yeah, you're right, a very unsettled end to August. Yeah, but they're they? they're like a B Tech Brighton. You know, they're stylish, good to watch. B Tech Brighton, harsh Tim. What's the feeling now that the January window is creaking open again about Palinia? Will he be off? Do you think? I mean, he seemed absolutely. Dist- he had to miss a match because he, he was so distraught about not going. Mm. Um, by a minute, would. I think certainly still be interested. I think there'd be other teams interested as well now. But with a potential carrot of a Wembley final to look forward to. Yeah. Might that be enough? I mean, if they, you know, if they draw Middlesbrough in the semis, then, you know. And he's, he's, you know, in, in last couple of weeks, he's been forming a new look midfield partnership with Tom Kearney, who habitually plays a little bit further forward. And there is something very, very sort of fluid, very watchable about the, the football that Fulham play. And you, you get the feeling that, I mean, yeah, when you're sort of racking up 5-0 wins, it must be quite an enjoyable thing to be a part of. So, so perhaps Polina isn't yet, you know, getting measurements for his lederhosen. All oh, good news for when the Fulham's new stand eventually opens in 2038. So is it still not open? <laughs> it's still not open. <laughs> the slowest opening building since the Parthenon. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe. Um, Fulham this weekend are facing Burnley, as we mentioned, and will be scoring 10 goals at least mm. by our estimates, which will make it a busy afternoon for Rebecca Welsh, who will mm. be in charge. She'll be the first female referee for a Premier League fixture ever. Duncan, you've seen her in action very recently, no? Yeah, she was the referee for Derby v Wickham last weekend. OK, which, how'd that go? I watched. She was really good. I mean... She gave Wickham a 97th minute penalty, so I mean, I wasn't averse to, to that, but yeah, did did really well. I um, in quite a, a, a bad tempered game at points, so yeah. um, yeah, it's a, it's a landmark moment. Okay, uh, also in the League Cup midweek, well, Liverpool West Ham is going to happen tonight, so can't really say too much about that unless you want to hazard a guess, Tim. Uh, Liverpool at home, yes, uh, I think West Ham will win. Oh, all right. And then we'll have the draw and all that. And it's a draw that will feature Michael Carrick's Borough, who thumped Port Vale 3-0 on Tuesday. They didn't need a penalty shootout. No Surrey Bob. From the Wembley of the North to possibly the Wembley of the Wembley. Bingo. Hmm? Is Borough known as the Wembley of the North? No, Port Vale's ground was, was known as Wembley of the North. Was it? Yeah. Why is that? Why? Because when it opened, it had a very big pitch and people were like, oh, it's like Wembley. <sighs> I mean... Tenuous, but true. All right, well, let's move on and let's talk about how Everton picked themselves up from that Fulham defeat away at Spurs and other Premier League things. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Brentford, not in action this weekend because Man City are off. So there'll be none of that touchline tension and the other excitements that we had last weekend in the game with Villa. Uh, apropos of which, The Totally Football Show, which as you know is sponsored by Google Pixel, had the Athletics' Jay Harris there, and here he is now going Beyond the Frame. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Everything you're about to hear has been recorded using Google Pixel's Audio Magic Eraser tool. That means that instead of our journalists' audio being drowned out by the crowd, the audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. Requires Google Photos app. May not work on all images or all audio elements. The chaotic ending to Brentford's 2-1 defeat to Aston Villa on Sunday afternoon at the GTEC Community Stadium has, quite unfairly, stolen some of the limelight away from Keane Lewis Potter, who finally scored his first Premier League goal for the club. It's been a strange 18 months for Keane Lewis Potter ever since he joined Brentford in July 2022 for what was a then club record fee of £16 million. Due to form and fitness, you know, he's had quite a few ankle and knee injuries. It's just not quite worked out for him yet. But with Brian and Bumo out injured for three months, Johan Visser off to AFCON in January, this feels like the opportunity for Keane Lewis Potter to get a regular run of games in the side and show everybody what he can do. Now, the plan was for him to strut his stuff against Sheffield United last week, but that didn't exactly go according to plan as Brentford lost 1-0. Against Aston Villa, the inform Aston Villa who'd beaten Arsenal Man City, felt that'd be a much trickier occasion for him to show his stuff. But that's exactly what he did. He nipped in front of Alex Moreno and scored a great goal, which put Brentford 1-0 up. But even apart from that, it was his desire to run in behind, to make tackles. You know, he was hunting down Emi Martinez at one point in the first half. They're those moments that will really stand out to Thomas Frank and show that hopefully he's got a bright future ahead. Beyond the Frame 
with Google Pixel. Oh, uh, if it's on-field nastiness that you're after, uh, then you can't say fairer than Turkey, where, regrettably, everything was suspended a week or two back after the Ankara Guju president stormed onto the pitch to spit at a referee, which is fair enough, but instead crossed the line and punched him in the head instead. And Yeah, anyway, but they brought football back, and thankfully nothing... Uh, like that Ankara Guju stuff happened. Instead, the Istanbul Spore president stormed onto the pitch mid-game and took his team off in protest at the refereeing decision. So, progress. Yeah. Oh, Tim, you were in Zagreb last weekend to see big Croatian game between Dinamo Zagreb and Hayuk Split. How'd that go? Awful game. Oh, really? <laughs> so, no team had had a shot by the 28th minute. Okay. I was like... I was just watching the stands, basically. Mm. It was far well, more entertaining. I bet that was entertaining. Rowdy. Yeah, um, the Bad Blue Boys. The Bad Blue Boys, named after... Chelsea. Named after... Uh, I've not seen it, but the 1983 hit film starring Sean, Pe- uh, Sean Penn uh, called Bad Boys, apparently. Well, hang on, See Bad Boys. That's not Sean Penn, is it? That uh, was, uh, that's, your, that's your Will Smith. That's another one altogether. Oh, there's one with Sean Penn, is there? Producer Charlie's giving you the nod. Thanks, yes. Charlie. Oh, so, yeah. I've never heard of that. I don't know. What that, What happens in that film? Uh, bad stuff. Really? Boys related activities and shenanigans, basically starring Sean Penn uh, from 1983. Speaking of things getting slightly lost in translation right. with Eastern European ultras, I was in, I think I was in Montenegro for an England qualifier ages ago. And I remember seeing... Uh, some graffiti on a wall that just said "always ultra" um, mm. in an unwitting reference to the oh the popular range of uh, women's sanitary products. Uh, right, yeah. but it was not in reference to that. It was, it was not. in reference to you know being an ultra, you know, forever. Yeah. Wow. Uh, there you go. There you go. Uh, so yeah, so how did it finish between Hayek Split and Potsan uh, Zagreb? Dinamo Zagreb. Dinamo Zagreb, Hajik Split. Uh, it finished 0-0. It was terrible. Um, okay. Uh, Why were you there? So this is uh, the Athletics Derby Day okay. series. Several of us have gone around Europe to mm. the most sort of bitter, fierce rivalries. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting trip. It is, if you're interested in Croatian football, Duncan's not in long. Uh, Dinamo have won the league every year since 2005 bar one. And Hadjuk are, are top this year by six points. Ooh. So they've finally got something to cling on to, which is why they came for a, a nil-nil draw. But yeah, it was much more entertaining in the in the stands. The game had to stop a couple of times for stuff, stuff being lobbed onto the field. Oh, really? And I was grateful for the fire and the flares because it was absolutely freezing. There's no roof in this stadium and there's no oh. corners and it was like below freezing. So yeah, but it was... Um, an awful game, much more interesting than stands. But okay. read all about it on The Athletic. Nice. Very good. Now, the Premier League weekend continues with Spurs against Everton. That's Saturday, 3 o'clock. Tim, you're going along to that. Should be a good one. I think so. Yeah, given Everton's sort of away record and Spurs have clicked into gear again. Mm. They've got this weird thing where they 10 unbeaten to start the season, then lost four out of five. I know they feel like they're picking up a bit of momentum again. A couple of good victories and they're sort of bubbling below the top four at the moment. Um, but they've got Everton, Brighton and Bournemouth over Christmas. So And players returning soon, Madison and Van de Ven. So I think they're, they're back in a good place again. They're um, on the Opta prediction model. 
Spurs are favourites to come fifth, which, as we know, may well have a Champions League spot. According to Opto, it will, yeah. Uh, they, they also break England to roar back from it's outside. It's a very patriotic to, computer. Though. Yeah. England currently outside the uh, extra place for your team Narrowly, yeah. zone. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, according to Opto, they'll be top by the end of the season, which is, you know, when it counts, I guess. Huh. Spurs against Everton will be a big game for Richarlison, who's suddenly hit form. Three goals in two games. Yeah, which makes such a big difference. Spurs have got a, a front four at the moment, which is pretty exciting to watch, with Son on the left, Brennan Johnson on the right, and now Kulisevsky's in this sort of number 10 role. Mm. They've finally worked out how to sort of replace Madison's creativity in the, in the team, and they look they look really good for it. But they are missing Basuma and Adogi, who are suspended this weekend. So, Thing to, to look out for in this game. Yes. We did a piece on The Athletic a few weeks ago by Tom Harris... Um, about turning teams round at home, um, and we, but going through the data, discovered that Sean Dyche absolutely loves doing it. Like basically, at kickoff, making the home team attack the end, they like to attack in the second half at home, and that's how they did it with Forest of the day. They've done it. Basically, Dyche has done it in like twelve of his last seventeen away games. Right, Classic I'm, com- I'm confused though. So. So Liverpool like attacking the cop in the in the second half, but right. United did it to them last weekend. So Liverpool attacked the cop in the first half and by you know, winning the toss. You can either win the toss and choose to do it, or the home team can say we want to take the kick off, and that gives the away team the chance to turn them around. So it does feel like teams are cutting onto it a bit more this season. It feels like it's a it's a growing scene. Why does it make a difference? Well, psychologically, it's kind of historically been seen as a thing. So you know, I, I'm. I'm pretty sure that Deitch will try and do it at Spurs. On Something to watch. Mm. Mm. Coin toss. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I mean, like most teams, if not all teams, have like a preferred end. Mm. Yeah. You know, Newcastle attacking the Gallagher end, Stratford United attacking yeah. the Stratford end and all that. Do you want to have that advantage to get the game heading in your direction or do you want it there well, as a kind of well, fallback match, in the Well, match going half? fans get really annoyed, particularly if you're behind mm. that goal, mm. if it gets... Cause Football's all about routine and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and it is... I saw Liverpool fans last a few cent last week saying, oh, well, we had to attack the cop in the first half. That was when we knew the game was going to be bad. So, um, obviously, Spurs have got uh, a very big, noisy home end. So, Deitchie will be will be planning. Already. I didn't think my respect for Sean Deitchie could get any higher. <laughs> and it, just, it just did. But does that mean that the captain's the Everton captain is winning the toss? Well, I think... What, what do captains tend to do? They go for the kick-off or they switch the edge? I think... A, I think a lo- recently, I think a lot of captains just go, well, we'll just kick off or, you know, but I think this thing, Deitch is, I mean, we, we, um, we actually spoke to Sam Vokes who, you know, used to play under Deitch at, at Burnley and said that it was, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that Sean, it's, it's, it's pure Deitch, isn't it? <laughs> pure, like, we- weaponising the toss. It feels quite Sam Allardyce in a way. Yeah. It's like, where can, where can we find advantages? I like, but I just, yeah, it seems to be working. Obviously, Everton's, Everton's away for him. Recently, has been great, and they. I think in their most of their wins away from home, they have been have turned the teams around. So and it's definitely turned the at, teams around. And the, the toss isn't yet an event. It's one of the. It's one of the yeah, few like in pieces American of the sort of pre-match ceremonials that has no real focus mm. on. Whereas right. now that if people now if the word gets out, mm. well, it could actually I didn't be realize. Key. You might get people. Ooh. Oh, I didn't realize until researching this piece that it's actually got it's sponsored, right? Hublo. It's called the Hublo to- coin toss in is the it? Premier League. No, yeah. Right. So I think we need to. This is the. We need to start making this a big thing. We Who would let's be kicking themselves? We need to talk more toss. Yeah. yeah we're way ahead of the game on this podcast, <laughs> of course. Uh, very good. Wow. Will the Toffees pick up their fifth away victory in a row? We shall see. Uh, a little bit earlier. On Saturday, you got 
another very big game. West Ham, again, they're in action Wednesday night, away at Liverpool, victorious in uh, Tim Spears' prediction in that match. But taking on Man United Saturday lunchtime, that's at home where Mo Kudos is in exceptional form. Four goals in his last three matches there. United will have Bruno Fernandes back from suspension. Uh, should be a lively one, this, because only two teams in the Premier League have conceded more shots than these two lineups. West Ham and Man United are, are allowing so many chances. The two teams that have conceded more, you won't be amazed here, are Luton and Sheffield United. Tom, you're, you're looking like you want to opine. Yeah, I think this is potentially a, a very uh, tricky game for Manchester United, who felt like they'd... I mean, we say quite a lot that Man United have stopped the rot when they get a half-decent result, which a nil-nil draw at Anfield in the circumstances in which it was played probably is, only for the rot to then set in immediately in their next game. But that the result at Anfield did buy them a little bit of breathing room off the back of that home defeat by Bournemouth. But West Ham, in terrific form at the moment, um, thought the way they set up against Wolves was really interesting, with Jared Bowen as sort of like a false nine, Kudus cutting in from the right-hand side, Lucas Paquetar sort of threading passes through from, you know, from central midfield. And, and you get the sense that, you know, there is there all of those players are on the same wavelength. And they're also one of the best counter-attacking teams in the country. Man United will expect to have possession. They're still sort of not labouring under a misapprehension, but, you know, Manchester United are supposed to be a possession team. So they still try and play out from the back as far as possible. And you know, they still try and dominate their their opponents. And West Ham are very good at playing against teams like that, particularly teams like that that don't really know what they're doing, which is basically what Manchester United are. So, And of course, for David Moyes, so significant, this fixture. So significant, yeah. Mm. Particularly given his uh, less than stellar record against all the, mm. you know, the leading lights in there. Could in, this be, do you think, the game when that long... Well, that's, no, that's active, away from home. That oh, is, so. dear. Okay. Mm. But, all right, then. Yeah. So, yeah I, don't, I, I think it's not a great time to be playing West Ham for Man United. Indeed not. During the season. During the season, basically. <laughs> Any time between August and May. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. A, a yeah. bad time. Club World Cup, for example, next year. Bingo. Excellent. Uh, the other game this weekend, I haven't mentioned it yet, it's Crystal Palace against Brighton. Bitter, bitter rivalry itself, of course. Don't La mention the road. Last four meetings between these two teams at Selhurst Park have all ended by what scoreline, Duncan? 0-0. Zero, zero. No, 1-1. One, one. Oh. There you go, 1-1. One, one. I was getting confused. There was a there was a heinous VAR error in this game last season. Which, was there? Uh, Brighton got an apology for... Oh, the offside. Mm. Yeah, that was so. bad. Against Palace. Yeah. Well, Palace benefited. Oh, but... Palace benefited, didn't mm. they? Okay. Palace haven't won at home in three over three months since the 3rd of September. Crikey. But yeah, it should be... You know, I like this game. I like this fixture. It's a, it's a low-key kind of feisty little affair mm. and a clash of styles as well mm. Hodgson against Deserby mm. and they're not particularly uh, similar football philosophies well if you if you say Deserby has a, a pep like you know freewheeling attitude to formations and we all saw the clip of Hodgson laughing chuckling away against Pep last weekend yeah that's true could be could be again in the uh, what fans are calling the Peace Pottage Classico is that what they're calling it? Well, they don't like the M23 derby, so I've been trying to think of other derby to three bridges. 
the Gatwick Cup. What was the piece? I don't know. What's Peace Pottage? That's the service that's station on the uh, on the M23. Oh. So it it needs a name, this fixture. So yeah, every fixture needs a name. Uh, anyway, that's what's happening before Christmas, and then as soon as Christmas is done, boom, you got another full set of fixtures, then then another. Uh, we, as I say, not going to be back for any of it. It's shock. It really is shocking. I'm awfully sorry. Um, I'll be off doing World's Strongest Man, of course. So there's that. But in terms of things that are going to happen, is there anything that we can preemptively get listener, the listener stocked up on in terms of analysis? Do you want to do a bit on Fulham beating Burnley 10 nil? Well, I've already that? mentioned that. I think that the 10 yeah. is going to drop this Christmas right. at some How point. How significant do you feel that is? for? Has Vincent Company been sacked as a result? And do you think that's the right decision? Uh, he won't get sacked for that, no. Okay. The process continues. All right. Any long life punditry that we can stock the listeners' mental cupboard with, Tom? So my prediction is that Ineos will complete their takeover of Manchester United. That will be announced. Oh, really? You think that's going to happen? I think that's going to happen. And that on day one, I thought, Dave okay. Brailsford will begin an audit of the club, which mm. is what he did when he took over at Nice. Right. And he will discover, to his horror that every major strategic decision that has been taken over the previous 10 years has been taken by shaking a magic eight ball that was gifted to the club by the Glazer family right. in 2013. And that will be the first step on you know, the Ineos pathway to glory. We'll be ditching the magic eight ditching ball. Ditching the magic eight ball? Mm. I'd feel very, very uncomfortable about ditching anything with mystic powers like mm. that. Well, wow. watch this space. Yeah. And you, do you think actual human-based decision-making will fare better for Man Well, United? actually, no. I think what will happen is things will not improve. Right. I think United will have the most calamitous January transfer window imaginable. Uh-huh. I think Involving who, Tom, will since we're here? Well, they'll sell all their most important players without replacing them. All right. They'll buy duds mm. who are so bad that they make Anthony look I like the second coming of Rivaldo. I thought they weren't going to use the Magic 8-Ball anymore. <laughs> this is without the Magic 8-Ball's assistance. Right. They'll start sliding down the table, defeat after defeat after defeat. Ten Hag will be sacked. Ralph Rannick will be brought back in. Right. He'll be Is this sacked. all before the 2nd of January when we return? <laughs> yeah, all, all being crammed in. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will come well, in, in a managerial partnership with a hologram of Billy Meredith. Wow. And a sort of gets the club dream ticket. Yeah. That won't work either. Oh, and it will become apparent before the end of the season, I'm yeah. squeezing quite a lot in here, that actually the only... The only entity at the club that was keeping things on an even tiller was the Magic 8-Ball. So it'll be fished out of the bin. United will avoid relegation by the skin of their teeth. Right. But they'll be basically back where they Your started. job now is to get behind the Magic 8-Ball. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine the, the memes. Mm. Mm. Blimey. <laughs> wow. How'd you follow that? I don't know. Well, one thing they always do yeah. in January is sign a non-goal-scoring striker. So it's back their course... Last year, last January? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Igalo, a couple yeah. years earlier. Oh, good Lord, yeah. Um, I predicted in August that it would be Chris Wood who wouldn't nice. wouldn't be able to get into Forest's expanded squad and would be released and picked up by Man United, which I still think is possible, but unlikely. Okay. But yeah, was, apart from that, everything Tom said, really. Everything Tom said, magnificent. Uh, I could offer a prediction as to who's going to win World's Strongest Man because I've got oh, a yeah. sneaky feeling I might know that. But what I can tell you... Was it a beefcake? Wait, what do you mean was? Hasn't I mean, is yet. it a beefcake? <laughs> is it a beefcake? It's a, well, it's an extraordinary road to that title. Twists and turns. Not when they're pulling the thing. Do they no. Well, there are some twists. Mm. Yeah. Extraordinary story. 
of human strength and endeavour. The greatest strength is in the mind. Well, and you know what? Not when you're the trying heart to pick is up the biggest a muscle of all. I thought it was the thigh. <laughs> anyway, that'll be on Channel 5 since you wanted to know. It is an enjoyable yeah. Christmas tradition. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. yeah. Not sure when. Probably starting the actual World's Strongest Man, I think, on Boxing Day. Mm. Usually climaxes on New Year's Day, just ahead of our return. We can maybe analyse that. I've talked too much about it, though, so I'm going to stop. Tim, have a great Christmas. And you. Thank you very much. And you, Tom Williams. Thank you, James. And, and you, you, Duncan Alexandra. Likewise. Yes. And listener, especially you. And uh, we will return on the 2nd of January. So I can only hope that you have a super time and really enjoy your football, whatever it may bring, between now and then. From all of us here at Team Totally, it's a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.